consumers do not buy in single interactions. You know, you're not going to create a brand video or a website or a piece of point of sale and people are going to see it and go, yeah, and no, I'm going to sign right in the dotted lane straight away. But we hear it every day. You know, if we just do this one thing, that's going to fix it. It's not. This is the Sweat Life Podcast, your guide to video and video marketing in the health and fitness industry. Here's your host, video producer for Sweat Life Films, Richard Playfair. Dan, thanks for joining me so much on the Sweat Life Podcast. Thank you for having me. Right. I want to jump straight into things because we've probably got a lot to talk about whenever I've done these. I find that we end up talking for an hour at least and we could probably do an hour more. So... Um, First of all, just give us a quick heads up about Brownwave. Give us the lowdown. Give us the you know the, the brief introduction to the company and what it does. Um, in a nutshell, I love sports. Um, I've always been involved in sports since I was a kid. All my family, all my friends. Um, I get on better with people who are into sports and fitness. And um, I, I'd work client side um, as. Uh, marketing director for O'Neill for the European countries about 17 years ago and I I dealt with what I call kind of generic agencies who are really good but they do dog food and they do car brands and etc and they didn't really know who um, the, the brands were uh, who the athletes were etc and I just I don't think I'd ever been inside a, <laughs> a marketing agency uh, at least not in a, in a professional capacity and I just I just took the leap and I set up Roundwave 13 years ago um, and essentially um, it, it, it has a really focused why you know I believe in, in sport as a catalyst for change based on my own experience as a catalyst for positive change um, physically mentally community um, economically and that kind of underpins all, all, everything that we do um, and you know especially in terms of the team um we say we understand your target market because we are your target market and what that means is everybody who's ever worked for me and ever will work for me comes from a sports background from enthusiastic amateurs like me right through to sort of Olympic gold medalists and I believe that regardless of the channel you know that they evolve we can talk about that a little bit and regardless of the service if it's to do with fitness if it's to do with sports to, to really understand something, you need to do it yourself. Um, what sort of so advantages do you think that gives your company? Like, so you're saying that you're really into sport and you understand, you know, the, the ecosystem, and you understand the people, the beliefs. The, how, what, sort of, what sort of advantage does that give brands working with you and not just picking somebody that does marketing as another agency? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, at, at some levels it doesn't. You know, it, it doesn't give us an advantage. It depends how important or, or, or high value the project is um, kind of like um, the difference between a GP and a brain surgeon you know if, if you've got kind of a, a low importance generic thing then you can go to a generalist but we're a specialist so we, we don't do um, a lot of things but I'd like to think the things we do do we do pretty well and 
if it's something where you need a certain level of expertise, a certain level of experience and understanding of an industry, in, in that instance, I would hope that we are, are more relevant. Do you think it, it helps having worked on similar campaigns in the sporting sort of ecosystem when a client comes to you and says, we want to do this, we found you because we noticed this on your website. What sort of acceleration does that give you or advantage give you that you already understand that maybe their mission or maybe you understand the people who are going to buy that product or service? It's a good question. Um, I think there are key themes that transcend different sports. And, you know, the, the kind of sports we're involved in has, has changed over the years. We, we started doing a lot of action sports and we did a lot of marine and for a large period of time, um, outdoor was a large part of our business and, and it still is to an extent, but definitely the growth sports are in around what I call road sports, you know, try running road bike and also obviously fitness and, and wellness is, is booming. And within the different sort of silos there there are different stages of evolution and different um, stages of sort of education and marketing and some are far more developed than others um, and and you can kind of take things from 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 one sport and, and apply the principles to, to others um, particularly in around behavior change um, be it as um, as a population um, we worked um, and, and continue to work a lot on the national um, behavior change campaign for outdoors called Get Outside. But th there's learnings from other industries. You know, we've worked with sort of um, sport as a catalyst for change in running, in um, in swimming, in sailing, and you can not in all instances, but even if it's something you know that we a sport that we perhaps don't have um, as much experience in, there's there's probably thematically. Um, some learnings that we can take from other areas and apply and 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 sometimes that's useful you know so, sometimes we can say look we've kind of been down this road for a couple of areas in in, in something else and um, I think we can move this left or right to to, to sort of move up the learning curve a bit so over the last 13 years that you've been doing brand way for Christ 13 I mean, yeah, well, that makes <laughs> I'm going to try to do the, I'm trying to do the maths now yeah. it's hard isn't it uh, so, okay so 2006 2007 yeah, at the time. yeah I mean then that was the time when well social media platforms were really kind of only just about hitting popularity at that point right so Facebook I mean YouTube had been around for a for a few years but how how has the use of video for you changed over those 13 years like if you reflect on the sort of campaigns you were running or how you were using video or distribution for it whereabouts did it fit in those campaigns that you did because arguably you might say that video sits at the heart of everything nowadays so where was it then if we talk about channels first um you know when we used to work on on, on brand videos initially for, for big sports brands the idea is that we'd make a DVD and we'd, we'd glue it to the front of a magazine and send it out. And that's, that's how you got your content out. I remember those. Um, and that wasn't bad. It really, you know, it really added value and, and you got it out. But suffice to say, it's changed just, just a little bit. I think, yeah, looking at, at, at channels, you know, the, the, there were websites, but, you know, I remember when the, the, our CMS was Flash, you know, it was like, websites and websites they weren't e-commerce websites you know they didn't use big data you know ux seo 
all, all this kind of stuff around it. Now they're, they're, they're far more of an ecosystem websites and, and, and the apps that are associated for the big brands. And as you say, social media pretty much didn't exist. So um, the everyone moves so quickly to embrace these new channels. You know, we need these all singing, all dancing websites, and we need Insta, and we need Facebook, and we, we need um, Twitter, and all these different things. But you go all these channels, then you got to feed the beast, man. It's like, and, and that beast needs fresh meat all the time. So just because you've got great content. That, that stuff's going to be stale in a week or two. So even having great content's not enough. You've got to be constantly looking at that content calendar. Um, so you know, e even the, if, you, if you put the the, the, the substance of, of, of the content aside, it's just the basic requirement for, for content and video has increased exponentially. Um, the, the next thing I think about is is uh, measurability and return on investments. You know, um, the unfortunate truth is that, that you know the purse strings of marketing budgets these days are generally generally held by the accountants, and you know decisions are made entirely on facts. You know, and not at all on feelings. And and, and probably the truth is that the answer is somewhere between the two. Um, and and back in the day, you know, everyone was was very sort of. Um, out of home, print media base, etc., and, and marketing was, was a dark art. Whereas now everything is 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 measurable, and that's where video is great because you, you're putting it out there, and you, you can track reach, you can track interaction, um, and and you can be agile, and you can see what's working and what's not working. So if you've got to answer to those those accountants, it's got a great um, measurability, and also in terms of return on investment um, if, if you run out of home, home ad or, or, or um, a print ad you know it's going to run once and then it's done you know once that comes down it's done whereas there's really you know with content it's it's infinite you know infinite ROI like you can have that piece of content and you can run it for the next thousand years it's just it's just you just got to figure out new places to put it in and, and new ways to use it so that's pretty that's you know when you when you've got a limited time money people, that's that's a pretty smart decision is is, is to put a good chunk of your your um your budget into content and and video. So would you say kind of to sum up, the early days of video was kind of high risk one off products one off focuses one off ads and nowadays it's a bit more low risk because it's it's easier and cheaper to do and it's more about campaign focus. Yeah, it's it's kind of gone full circle, you know. Um, I think, you know, back when I, I, I sort of started doing you know content um, twenty years ago, it was all a little bit shonky and and, and, and rough and ready, and um, it had a realness to it. And then it it moved very much towards big, smooth, expensive brand edits, you know, um, and it's but that's kind of become quite elitist and it's not inclusive and accessible and it's actually moved kind of as i said 180 back to the more sort of shaky handheld um rather than one big piece um lots of sort of quick executable current 
um, content and, and in terms of risk, um, so uh, trying to answer your question a bit better, um, that de-risks to, to a certain extent because it allows you to be agile. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you're you know six nine months making something, there's a good chance that the, the trends are shift. But if you're if you're bashing out stuff every couple of days or every weeks, you can you can move quite quite quickly. And, and if it's not working, then you can change that. Mm. Kind of shifted towards this authentic feel behind the scenes, all yeah. that sort of stuff, and really getting in touch more with the people behind the brands and who interact with the products and that sort of stuff. I imagine lots of. I mean, they talk about three types of content, right? You got your earned, your owned, and your user generated. So, I guess we're seeing this democratization of of media where you're relying on a lot of sort of earned media now. Brands can, you know, are looking for users or believers or buyers to buy into their products and start creating their own content around it. It's a really good point. A really good point. Marketing for me in the last 12 months has changed more than it has in the, in the, in the 20 years I've been um, working in it. And the way that you can measure how it's changing is how the briefs are changing. Because um, it's all well and good us as Brownwave wanting to do this and that, but you know we're here to do what the, what the client wants to do and, and not what we want to do. And the, the briefs that we're getting, the KPIs are changing. You know, and, and it is, as you say, it's about UGC. And, you know, if we run an activation or, or something, it's, and you, we did one um, two weeks ago in, in the mountains for a running brand that we work with, and the KPIs were about the, the the quality of the UGC and also the reach and engagement of that, not just what we what we create. So, um, and there's a, there's a, you know, there's a whole bunch of work in around, that's essentially word of mouth, it's just digitalized word of mouth and how much more valuable um, a, a referral purchase is than a than um, you know a brand saying hey man come buy this I mean when you were talking about or when I, I I posed the question about risk before I guess and my my point there was in relation to KPIs return on investment whereabouts are they steering their KPIs from because traditionally it would be let's sell more of this let's get more you know it's um, let's get a, a, a greater market share horizontally, whatever it happens to be. Whereas now, do you think it's more about creating the audience, building the lists across multiple channels because no one really knows where it's going to go? Or what, what, what KPIs have surprised you with it, regards to campaign planning now? It, it totally depends how you measure success. You know, um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that the brands make in, in fitness and, and across sports is they don't sit down either with us or collectively internally and just say, why are we doing this? You know, are we doing it? What, what's the point of this project? Um, is, it, is it content for the sake of content? What are we actually trying to achieve? And, and, and more importantly, how will we know when we've, we've achieved it? Um, because it's not just about reach. Um, and I think as well, you know, whatever you do, I would find it hard to understand why, you know, building and enhancing communities is not part of the brief. Um, you know, um, people, people buy 80% for emotional reasons and 20% for rational reasons. And the, the, the com- building communities and feeling part of something, especially in fitness, you know, people talk about tribes. 
in content, especially UGC, is a great way to enhance that. But then also, you know, you talk about KPIs and I think it's really important before you decide what success looks like to be honest about at what at what point on the on the um, uh, the sort of purchasing decision ladder people are at because you can't go straight to click and purchase if you have no brand awareness, you know, um, you and you might have brand awareness but there's no education and if it might be education but there's no consideration. So great campaigns are based on great insights. How well do we know our customers? And you know, I, I often get these briefs and they say our customers are this and those are customers are that. And, and we say, what's, what's this based on? And you know, you start scratching the surface. It's, it's just assumptions. They haven't been tested. So you want to do it properly. What you do is you, you can make your assumptions, but then you need to go out there and test them. You know, and that can be pretty informal. You know, with some focus groups. And um, ultimately, what you want to do is, is build persona profiles of say you know between three and six different personas who are looking at your product or service and you want to draw a red circle around three and say these are the guys we're going for those three could have very very different levels of education within fitness um you know some will be life as an expert someone maybe newbies they need to be spoken to in, in, in different ways and you you need to understand you need to fish where the fish are you need to understand what channels they're looking at because they're going to be different as well especially if you're talking like a uh, business to instructor um so you do that kind of channel strategy and then you can put on top of that your content and that's a proper strategic framework um then you can kind of set your kpis and they're what i you know they're, they're the difference between bullshit metrics and what i call meaningful metrics Let, let's let's strip these kpis down by by two-thirds or a half and for each of those persona groups come up with something that's really going to make a difference to our business, which, which ultimately is, is sales. Do you think the, the, the stripping down of available KPIs across social media platforms like Instagram now, we, we're seeing kind of the likes disappear from posts and you know those vanity metrics, do you think they're going to help brands to recondition the way that they think about things going forwards and that's going to help? I love that um, vanity, vanity metrics. Um, yeah, that, that that's it. It's 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 vanity vanity metrics, um, and there's a lot of bullshit around at the moment. You know, um, there's a lot of sort of data blindness and kind of what I call emperor's new clothes syndrome. You know, if you get 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 your your reports and it's got all these algorithms and metrics in it, and it's almost like a electricity bill. You know, it's designed to sort of confound you into not asking any questions. Um, you're getting into a bigger subject um, to do with things like robot clicking and and all kinds of stuff here, but but ultimately it goes back to my previous point. Have a real long hard think before you put your hand in your pocket. What are we trying to achieve, and how are we going to know if we if we've achieved it or not? Um, have a good think about that before before you even write the brief on anything else. Do you see that as a fundamental part of what you do, making sure the clients steer their perspective from what they may originally have planned to do or planned to achieve to, hold on a second, we think you should look at it like this or consider this um, angle? Because, I mean, let's face it, although anyone can run a, a PPC campaign across Facebook or YouTube, or whatever it happens to be now with video, you know, there's still a lot to learn. You know, there's there's so many different platforms to learn and you've got a whole team working with you to be able to do these things. So 
when they take a snapshot look at something and go, we want to do this based upon these metrics that we got and what our competitors doing, you're saying that we need to go not necessarily deeper, but more focused. On For sure. The- do less more. You know, um, I see a lot of what I call me too marketing or follow the leader marketing. Um, you, you look at an industry, people look at what the top three players are doing and then they um, mimic that in terms of the style of content, in terms of the channels that they're using. You're never going to beat the winner by copying their tactics. So, you know, I don't want to be the guy who, who, who talks about strategy, you know, over quality of content. That's definitely not it. You know, of course, the quality of content is super important, but you'd be amazed by the, the amount of people who just want to jump straight into something um, without kind of um, mapping the landscape and, and, and just sort of identifying the, the white area. And the question I ask a lot of times is, 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 is what risks are we taking? You know, how are we pushing the boundaries here? How, how are we being different? Because if it all comes back and everything, you know, looks okay, we're probably not pushing the boundaries at all. We're probably just doing, you know, really safe shit. And you've got to take, you, you've got to be prepared to fail. You, you've got to be, a, you know, if you really want to innovate, if you really want to win, then you need an internal team who is not going to point the finger, you know, when, when certain things don't work out. Because what we're looking for is, is, is we're looking for the averages. And on average, we're kicking ass. And the same way with the agency, if you're operating in a, in a relationship where it's like, you know, we look at, we do, we do five things and, and two of those things um, don't land as well as the others and everyone starts pointing fingers, then that's just, that's just a, a breeding ground for an environment of, well, let's just, just play really safe within the boundaries and you're, you're never going to get um, traction with, with, with that kind of approach. At the start of that, you, you mentioned something which kind of ties in quite nicely to a perspective on the area that I work in, in the fitness sort of space, working with you know small brands, small studios, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs in the fitness space, and they're all very much in a, a big rush nowadays to to create their brand or to create their legacy. And a lot of this always seems to ride on two things for me, based upon the questions that I get asked a lot. The first one is I need a logo, and the second one is I need a promo video. And those seem to be the only two focuses that they have. Now, it's not their fault because they they haven't got time to understand the whole ecosystem like people have like yourselves who spend their whole life immersed in that environment. So they're kind of looking around, seeing what other PTs are doing in their area, seeing what the other studios are doing and thinking, well, they've got that and they've got that. That's what I need, I need to do. Now, you've worked with the UK Active Lab and you've you know, worked as a mentor, haven't you, for some of the startups in the tech space and the fitness space. What sort of similarities do you see in their approach to trying to establish themselves? And what things do you think, or do you find yourself maybe saying to them time and time again, or hold on a second, let's just consider these things first? Is it really going back to basic? Yeah, you know, as I said, we work in different different sports. And when you do that, uh, you can really can compare and trust. Um, I think the first thing thing I'd say is that the UK fitness industry has really got its act together as an industry. Um, the UK, the UK Active, the, the initiatives that they run, uh, not just Active Lab, but things like Sweat, you know, the, the Summit, etc. They are absolutely benchmark for, for me across any other industry in sports that we work with um, at every level: B two B, B two I, B two C. Um, they've got you know, huge amount of initiatives. Um, and 
you know, in the UK and fitness were super lucky to 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 have that. Um, in answer to your question about priorities for um, for startups, you know, yes, we, we get asked that, but I, th- I think it's it's all relevant. You know, um, sorry, it's all rel- relative because no matter how big or small you are, you still have limited resources, limited time, limited money, limited people. And, it, you know, people always talk about the money first, but you, you, it's the opportunity cost of your time and effort as well. Because you can say, yeah, you know, I could do this in-house, but at, at what cost? What, what are you sacrificing in order to be doing all your own social media or creating all your own content? And the question is, just because you can do something, you know, sh- should you do it? Um, and then, and then it is looking, yeah, looking at that ecosystem for, for the personas that you've got. You know, th- these are our sort of two target markets, and understanding. And I think this is the biggest mistake that startups and large companies make: that consumers do not buy in single interactions. You know, you're not going to create a brand video or a website or a piece of point of sale, and people are going to see it and go, "Yeah, and no, I'm going to sign right in the dotted lane straight away." But we hear it every day, you know, if we just do this one thing, that's going to fix it. It's not. People buy in multiple touch points. It's attrition. You know, think of anything you've ever bought from a pair of trainers to, to a fitness class. You, you just don't go from zero to, to, to purchase in one interaction. So, you know, it's going to be word of mouth, you know, via a podcast or via a friend. You know, you, you hear about it, then maybe you're going to see a paid ad. Then maybe you're going to see a piece of thought leadership content on, I don't know, LinkedIn. Um, then maybe you're going to go to some kind of um, activation. And, and maybe you go back to that circle a few times. And you get worn down and down and down and down until eventually you say, yeah, let's, let's, let's give it a go. So no matter how big or small you are, just bear that in mind. It's, it's multiple touch points understand the touch points and don't pour all your resources into one. Um, but at the same time, you know, let's make it four or five touch points, not four or 500. And if you try and mimic the big boys, you're just gonna you spread yourself way too thin and not have any traction in anything. So if we break it down to kind of marketing 101, someone's just opened a studio up and they want to, um, they want to launch, they want to sell memberships in advance, whatever it happens to be. Give us an idea of that, uh, uh, a simple sort of consumer journey from the point of awareness through to decision-making. What are the sort of stages that people would go through, which will maybe allow people listening to understand a bit more about the psychology behind that journey and why they do those sort of things? <laughs> You're really testing me on my <laughs> marketing, marketing theory. Um, you said it's multiple touch points, It is, right? it is multiple so, touch points, and you can't go straight to purchase. Yeah. You know, so... I don't want to talk across every part of the marketing mix, but for the purposes of this, let's talk about content. Um, the first thing is going to be awareness. You know, you say this this content that we are um, creating and the places that we're putting it is just to make people um, know, know about our brand. Um, and then um, you're going to be talking about, you know, they've heard of your brand. Then you're going to be talking about education. You know, you've got your new studio. What's different? Um, what's your, you know, is, is, it, is it 
just bricks and mortar or is, is there streaming in D2C or you know, is it some kind of new technology that you got? Um, and, and that's just sort of education in terms of your, your, your products as well. But let's let's talk about our, our ethos as well and, and our why. And, you know, people want to align their values with you. You know, same way as when you buy a car, it's probably a lot more about, you know, this sort of identifies me as a person. And people use their, their fitness classes and they identify, you know, they, they kind of plot it on a mental matrix. Um, so that's the kind of education. And then, um, you know, you've got, you've got consideration and, and you know so somewhere down the line you, you've got purchase but that's not the end of it because what you want to do with those people um is to turn them into brand advocates and evangelists and you want that one person is really passionate about your product or service to get a hundred others so it's it's capturing that in things like um uh you know testimonial videos and most importantly it's it's you know it's, it's looking at the channels um, because you'll find that it, it's dark social, that that's where these guys operate. Um, the, there was a report I read, I think it was by Forbes magazine um, last year, that said 70% of all online referral purchases, that's, so that's word of mouth, someone sends you a link and you clicking on it and you go and getting it, is done by dark social. So that's encrypted networks like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and to a lesser extent, email, text, um, etc. And if you think about the way that like you and I, you know, operate in this world, like it's, it's, it's completely true. Like um, I've got a WhatsApp group for everything, surfing, parenting, music, gym, work. And if I want any advice in any of those things, somebody sends me a link and I, and I, and I click on it. So definitely be considering those kind of, you know, not just what you're creating and, and what stage of the, um, the buying ladder that they're on but also consider you know looking at those sort of more modern channels because a lot of people don't even have a budget line for that kind of stuff so how how can people who are advertising in print get people online quicker or at least to a stage where you can start start to measure the impact of print advertising are there any tips that you can give people with regards to web addresses yeah. and things like that firstly in, in my view, there is still very, very much a place for print advertising. Um, and this comes back to um, what I was saying before about people moving to things that are, you know, only that you can get a, a printout of the numbers. They're completely measurable. doesn't mean it's necessarily right. Um, and, and in fact, um, in some of the sports industries that we're working in, um, people are moving quite heavily back into print um in terms of what what can you do with, with your print where do people go wrong where do people go right um why are you doing it why are you doing it what do we want to achieve who are we speaking to have you really really nailed these um these questions beforehand because i it answers questions like you know not just like what and who but where you know, and it will really define which publications you're putting it in, and it will define um, your CTA, your call to action. And I think print for print's sake, you know, we're doing it because we've always done it. We've always had a budget for print. That that's that doesn't wash with me. You 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 really need to articulate your your call to action, and and remember that you know, people buy multiple touch points. It's 
you know, maybe they're not going to look at this print ad and immediately click purchase right there and then, but it, it may well form part of that multiple touch points, part of that ecosystem that brings someone closer to that that first trial or that, that first purchase. One thing I've noticed across Instagram in particular, I think people who uh, have accounts sometimes forget that, you know, what they're sharing is actually sharing to an audience across the world or across the country. And I'll see a lot of fitness events which are promoted on there and they'll say, this Sunday, amazing fitness festival at something cool, blah, blah, blah. And it's great, but you haven't got an address on there. I don't know what city it's in. <laughs> I think they forget that, that they're trying to reach their local audience, but it goes further than that. And it's almost counterintuitive. You want to grow your business, right? So attract people from further away but you're forgetting to put down your locations on it. What's, have you see, ever seen any other things oh, like that? Every day, man. It's, um, yeah, I think, you know, the first, the first thing you can learn in marketing strategy is common sense, you know, and, and it's uh, there's a huge lack of it. Um, the amount of times I see content. And, and what do you call it, vanity? Vanity metrics. Like vanity the likes metrics, you know, exactly. Yeah. I can't coin that, wasn't my uh, own. Well, no, it's, it's exactly that. It's... Um, you know, you get such a buzz. So many people have liked it. It's great. You no know, is, is, exactly. <laughs> is your business any better off? Well, um, there was that um, yeah. story about the the influencer on Instagram who started a clothesline, and she had however many thousands or millions of followers, and she couldn't sell thirty t-shirts. Really? You know, hear about no, that? No, I didn't. Oh, but I, I can fully believe it. And it's um, how loyal are your fans, really? Right? You yeah. can't you can't measure it based upon clicks because yeah. it just becomes routine for people. Yeah, as a CMO or a marketing director, you, you need to start asking, so what? Yeah. So what? So what? So what? Um, and you know, I, I kind of touched on it earlier. This 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 kind of data blindness. You know, you, you just you're getting all these metrics and they're saying, you know, they've got all these clicks and you've got all this reach. Um, so what? You know, how how is that translating into more people in my classes? Or, you know, how is that actually building the communities that I want to? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to interpret that data? Um, because most of the large sports brands that, that I know and I work with, they, they can't. Um, they've got it, but they don't know how to turn that into actionable implementation um, and I think it comes with sort of self-confidence because nowadays when, I, when I'm presented with a report um, I'll quite quickly you know I'll quite quickly put my hand up and say you know stop this meeting I don't understand this and if I don't understand this that's not my problem that's that's your problem because I consider myself to be fairly well versed in this and as a as a supplier of you know, PPC or SEO or whatever it is, if you can't communicate that to me, then I'm not going to buy your service anymore. Um, so it's just, it's great to have all this data. It's great to have all this quantitative, um, to have all this, this quantitative um, data, but what are we going to do with it? Do you think brands are finding it easy to get used to using video in their campaigns or is it are we still on a learning curve for them because things like platforms are changing rapidly and that sort of stuff i think you have to be in a growth mindset more so than ever before because what worked last week is not going to work next week um what get what got you here what won't get you to where you want to go 
Um, a good example of that is Instagram. Um, and you know the length of the videos that Instagram has increased them, etc. So suddenly you can change the purposes for which you use Instagram. Um, and I think um, you know uh, OTT media itself is a massive, massive topic. Many, many sports now are, are signing exclusive agreements with Amazon Prime. Um, for example, the the FA for exclusivity on certain matches, um, golf with um, Discovery is, is, is launching all its um, siloed sports um, channels. Um, and, and, and the great thing is it's, it's giving um, minority sports, uh, so not your you know, rugby, cricket, golf, and an opportunity to have platforms where people can view it anywhere, anytime, on, on any device, right? Um, and that's really only happened over the last couple of years, but um, you you need to stay educated and you need to keep learning because you can fall behind super quick. Um, from my own experience, I found that the fitness industry in itself, the roles that are filled by people nowadays tend to be quite sort of junior levels in the marketing space. Uh, these might be people who I don't know, teach classes or represent fitness brands half of their time during the week and then fill these roles as additional ambassadors for brands elsewhere. Um, and one thing I've found when talking to them is, like you say, sometimes they approach a campaign and they don't really know what they're planning to achieve from it. There's no purpose, no reason, no over uh, objective that they want to achieve. So it can be quite a job of trying to educate them, giving them the heads up and um, helping them to understand the process and how it fits in with the bigger picture. And that's essentially what the point of this podcast is to help those sort of people as well. I mean, what, what sort of advice would you give people who are in those roles, who are given the jobs of, you know, possibly outsourcing video production or photography or maybe graphic design, web design, how should they educate themselves so they can get a better idea of what they need to know to not only make things happen quickly, make things happen on budget, um, and communicate really what they want to achieve? I think it doesn't matter if there's four people in your company or 40,000 people in your company or 400,000 people in your company. Um, you, you've got to be able to define what success means internally before you define what it means externally. By which I mean, you've got to have the key stakeholders in a room. You've got to talk this through. It's, it's not the responsibility of the marketing manager because if the marketing manager just is just running off down one road and he doesn't have buy-in from the key other departments, you know, uh, the product department and the sales department. Um, it only works if 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 we ag agree on the objectives together, and that does not happen. The big, bigger the company is, the less likely that is to happen. And in many times, you know, the the, the different departments are almost um, paddling away from each other. You know, in, in terms of what they're trying to achieve. So. Um, in, in terms of, of tips to, as you ask, you know, make things a success, sit down, ask a lot of questions about what success looks like. Where do we want to be in six months' time? Where do we want to be in a year's time? Where do we want to be in three years' time? I think anything past three years is a little bit pie in the sky. And, you know, 
get everyone to write it down on a piece of paper and fold it over and put it onto a hat. I love that exercise because, you know, we, we ask people, are you guys all aligned? Oh, yeah, man, we're, we're all totally aligned. Okay, well, we're going to do a quick little workshop and ask a few questions. You start reading it out and you see people's face full. And it's, you know, I, I do get a kind of sick pleasure from it, but it has a greater purpose of, you know, we are not going to be successful unless we as a team agree on what success looks like. So as a, as a marketing manager, it's as it's as much political as anything else. Get those people in a room and work on agreed goals, agreed KPIs. Plot that point on a map and then you know what you're aiming for. Because as far as I'm concerned, most people haven't really defined where they're trying to get to, so they're just drifting around. Direction's really important, isn't it? Absolutely. So when we talk about direction, someone making the, the decisions, the choices of where to push it, who does that fall with? And why does it fall with them? Not with us, you know. Um, 50% of what we do is consultancy. And I think the the misconception, the biggest misconception of consultancy is that we come in and we tell people what to do. That's not what it is, you know. Especially within niche industries, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know it better than the people who, you know, own the company have worked in it their, uh, their whole lives. What you need to do is, is facilitate and, and you need... You, you need the client to agree um, on on where they want to get to. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, things aren't going to work. You can be agile. You can change it. But you've got to have an endpoint that you're trying to get to in the short, medium, and long term. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you're operating rudderless. I think one of the things I've noticed the most in the way that people in the fitness space especially have tackled social media marketing is that they tend to deviate you know, on the spider's web away from what their core objective and mission is. So an example would be a personal training studio that specializes in hip training or TRX or whatever it happens to be. And then they'll go and do a load of podcasts or um, social media posts on a nutrition. And nutrition isn't even part of their service offering that they have. But they think that if I can reach those people interested in nutrition, then I'm gonna draw some of them back to my studio. Whereas I would consider that to be completely off point, you know, it's kind of it's similar to what they offer. It's in the ecosystem, or you know, related very closely to fitness. But I believe they'd be much better really focusing on what their core offering would be and trying to create content around that than taking a step sideways. What do you think? I would challenge that um, because selling your, what you do, your product and service. I said earlier that you know people buy. Um, 80% for emotional reasons and 20% for rational reasons. If you're just talking about that and, you know, technique and the rest of it, you know, the maximum part of the brain that you're appealing to is, is, is a 20%. Um, certainly, you know, if you're a fitness brand and you're you're scooting off and talking about the horse and pony market, you know, that's, that's totally irrelevant. I'm, I'm not advocating that. However, you know, you and I both grew up and lived in this in our whole lives. We know that, that that fitness class is not just about the machinery that's in there or, or the technique. It's actually probably quite a small part, a lot less part than the people who run the brands think it is. It's about um, people changing physically, um, you know, people changing mentally. They think, wow, I've really got in shape. And if I can do this in my life, how can that change other aspects of my life and my relationship and um I mean, as a parent in, 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 my, in my professional life, and it, it gives people content and it, it gives them um, a community. You know, this might be a whole new friendship group 
and I could go on and on and on about this. It's, it's all, you know, page one of the Brown Wave brochure, but I really, really believe it um, that these, um, these fitness classes people go to is so much more than, than just the sort of utilitarian um, satisfaction of a need to stay fit. And I always com- compare it to the, the, the party shirt. You know, you've got a shirt that, that whenever you put that shirt on, that's a good time shirt. You only have to put it on and it reminds you of all these good times and all these good emotions. That's what you're aiming for at the fitness class. You're a catalyst of, pe- of change in people's lives on multiple levels. So coming back to your, your question about sort of complementary content, be it, you know, nutrition, uh, whatever it is, that's okay so long as thematically it fits in with we're changing a life in, in in a positive way and here's some sort of um some parallel ways that, that we can do that rather than just stepping backwards and forwards okay so let's look ahead to i don't know the next couple of years actually in the in the world of social media and you know live next video weeks, yeah. yeah it moves so quickly doesn't it have you ever made any predictions based upon what you see potentially happening in the future across social media platforms with regards to video in particular or with the way that people are going to consume content through various channels yes i mean 100 percent. traditionally for the last two three generations if you wanted to see a, a sports event especially a live sports event like a tennis match or, or a football match you would have to go to a specific place it could be your living room or the, or the pub with your mates at a specific time and view it on a specific advice namely the television and there'd be no way of tracking you know what what the engagement with what kind of purchasing decisions people made afterwards that has changed you know a seismic shift as i said in terms of d to c in terms of ott over the top um in, in that you can you, you can view content now anywhere anytime on on any device and i think that those traditional media forms are really really going to struggle over the next few years because you know where more traditional media is not trackable the um the, the, the new forms of of media are trackable um and, and they haven't really been commercialized yet um for example um the next generation of um of ott media say like amazon prime review things and 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 uh facebook live um in the next sort of tranche you'll be to um see uh, an athlete working out and you're you're watching it on your phone your phone already has your data has your size your credit card details your address you like the top that they're wearing you like the runners they're wearing you just hit the screen and it shows up at your house so it it's definitely definitely going to move um from from more traditional media to the the new types of media but the, the next phase we're going to see is the proper commercialization of that um which certainly brings its challenges it's it's a change and you know nobody likes change but there's also massive opportunity yeah we've seen that kind of happen haven't we now with instagram i think snapchat i think have started doing that as well allowing people to tap through to products yeah. on screen and purchase that way um so what about things like the growth of certain channels popularity maybe some will die off and we saw the death of vine didn't we when, yeah. when was that 2000 can i can i take a step back and just just address something actually which yeah. you just said because this is just changing in the last week um it's the wild west out there at, at, at the moment in terms of um 
you know, there's some very famous uh, A-list celebrities slash influencers selling everything from diet pills to God knows what, completely unregulated, you know, and it's not, you know, if you do, if you do a paid promotion in a, in a, um, in a print magazine, it has to say paid promotion. Um, whereas it's, it's super fluid at the moment on social media. Um, and there's a, there's a few key, um, a few key people really, really uh, speaking out at the moment, and those laws are changing, and I, and I and I expect to see them over the next sort of one to six months, um, tight, tighten up a lot in terms of what you um, can and can't say if something's a pay promotion, and, and from my perspective, that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen more of a, an obvious shift to making that known, especially on YouTube nowadays. Mm. Not only I think is it a part of the creator's conditions that they have to stipulate that at the start of videos, yeah. but the icon actually appears or wording appears yeah. on screen now for that sort of stuff. For, well. for sure, and I think the large brands as well, the key shift that we're going to see, um, it's already happening with the biggest brands, is is the, the shift from the macro-influencers to the micro-influencers because these, these megastars... You know, and you pay them a fortune, um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands uh, per tweet in some cases, um, and they get all this reach and they get all this engagement. But how many people really trust these people? You know, even if it doesn't say pay promotion at the moment, I think the collective consciousness, you know, is becoming more and more aware that the, these people don't use this face cream every single day or don't use this fitness product. Um, so they kind of smile and they like it, but there's no real behavior change. Whereas the you know, micro influencers, the ten thousands and less, um, you know, if he's your local sort of celebrity instructor, um, people are far far more likely to to, to trust um, their recommendations. But of course, that's not enough. So what you got to do is you got to you got to aggregate the the micro-influencers, and there's a lot of really interesting business models around to do that. And we were involved in a few at the moment, and I personally find that challenging, but also really exciting. Yeah, I find I find that interesting to see how that's changed. And a few people have murmured that that should be the the the, the metric that they should look at is the 10,000 follower count to find out the people who have got enough reach, but it suggests that it's more authentic and more engaged. And it's probably um, emphasized by the fact that they are more niche, they are more specialized. And you only have to look at things like particular photographers, for example, who are in the, in the fitness space or um, people who do cooking shows or wherever they happen to be. They'll get that a bit more engagement because the user can get a lot more out of it when they watch that content. I think your cooking is something that most people would do yeah. day to day, right? And that sort of stuff. I think these bullshit influencers, you know, who just bought all their fans, um, they've had a pretty good run of it the last few years because uh, they've been sort of one step ahead of the marketing managers. But that period of time, that is, that's coming to a quick close. Yeah, I think um, the technology exists now where I think it's social chain. I think they've got some There's technology. There's a bunch of them out there. Which allows people to strip back all of their... You're the robots and all those, you know, yeah. those fake accounts, and find out what their real, true follow account is. Um, I mean, talking about vanity metrics before, it almost seems like, in the case where I spoke about that girl who was the influencer and couldn't sell thirty T-shirts, who had a million followers, um, they're almost become false positives, don't they? Um, they can think it's almost a safe bet to go for the higher number, but it doesn't necessarily work out that way. And it could all turn a little bit sour very quickly, um, especially if your your head's on the line, you know, with making a decision with that. But, you know, have, you said that you've worked a little bit on some campaigns with follow account from certain accounts that way. Is that an area where 
people in the fitness space should start to to look and reach out to those people who are particularly passionate about programs, their ambassadors, their biggest fans, the people who never miss an event? Is Should that be more of a, a focus strategy nowadays? In my opinion, 100%. Yeah. Um, some, some of the largest, you know, group fitness brands, they have 150,000 um, instructors on their books, more. Um, and you, you, you just can't underestimate the influence of, of, of these guys, you know. They've been such a positive um, influence on, on, on their clients. You know, they're really, really trusted. And um, it, it, B to I, business to instructor, you know, it needs to be viewed as a, as a category um, in, in itself. In, in, in my view, more important than B to B or B to C because they're kind of stuck between the two. But if you get that B to I audience on board, they'll influence both. They'll influence the owners of the of the gym chains, and they'll influence um, they'll influence the the end consumers. So yeah, you know, definitely sort of um, finding those guys who who mirror the, the values of your brand, and finding you know, it comes back to dark social like like WhatsApp. You can create groups for um, fifty, a hundred uh, instructors. They, you can you can control the information that they're fed about new product launches, about seeding content, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's almost a, a pyramid selling effect where they'll have their own groups and they'll go out and put that at, at the next level B2C. You can't track it because it's in, encrypted, but but it happens for sure. And it's, it's a really modern, it's a really smart mechanic for um, creating communities and, and as I said, having, having much more meaningful metrics. Summing up the way that people should look at marketing, it's like for the next, I don't know, maybe they're planning to run a campaign over the next four to six weeks. What are the fundamentals should they, if there's a like a little checklist, what are the fundamentals that they should just look at before they start any new campaign going forwards? Who, what, why, when, where, how? It's, it's just It's just that simple. You know, marketing strategy, it's... It sounds complicated, but it's not. You know, people just don't ask those questions. Look, look at each of those things. Um, why, you know, what is what is your what is your purpose? What is your ideology? What is what is your why? Is that is that clearly defined? Why are you why are you doing this campaign? Is it just for the sake of it? You know, um, what are we looking to achieve at the end of it? And then who, you know really understanding your audience um as i say you know the great campaigns are, are based upon great insights you know what what do we know and and is that is that assumption or, or, or have we actually gone out and checked that and then where you're talking about channel strategy fishing where the fish are you know go out there look at your different personas l- learn whether they are consuming their content and and build the channel strategy around that um when uh, again, these things, a lot of these things, people kind of write a blank check, you know, and it just or it just kind of fades out at the end. Way better to do it in in a in a defined time period and, and look at that really strategically and around your corporate objectives. Um, what then follow through with that in terms of um, it's pretty easy when you've looked at the other ones to to define what kind of content you're putting out, um, and then how? What's the mechanic? What, what's the CTA? 
um, how does this whole thing work? Is it a recruitment campaign? Is it is it an engagement campaign? Is it an education campaign? And I think ask ask those really basic questions, get them all down on paper, get everyone to agree on them, and you are going to have a much much more successful video content campaign. Cool. So, have you got any resources on your website that any listeners can go and read about, which they can dive in a bit deeper on this? Maybe some articles on your blog or any uh, lead magnets that you got that you can push out there? Yeah, for sure. We've we got, we got a blog on our, on our website, uh, brownwavemarketing.com, and it's got quite a bit on there. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really lucky. We, we get to speak at a lot of the, uh, the fitness industry conferences. Um, um, and for sure, we'll be posting on, on our social when we're going to be uh, doing those kind of thought leadership pieces. Have you got any lined up for the moment in the calendar for the next couple of industry events? Um, I do, but I'm afraid I can't talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Embargoes until later. Yeah. So if you want to find out any more information about Dan and what the Brandwave team do, then check out brandwavemarketing.com and check out obviously their blog and any other interesting uh, articles and some of the campaigns that they've run as well are quite interesting because they work with Reebok, Adidas, Les Mills, North Face, you name it. Check them out and you might learn something. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.